where to start? Um, <laughs> some candid catch-up. Candid I, love, catch up. I love how that's always on the docket. <laughs> How's it going? No. Yeah, it's good. Um, I had my seed oil yesterday. Mm. Um, that really was an accident. I thought that was so funny um, that the oil just dumped out onto the tofu. Um, I drained it after taking the video. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is why you all should follow us on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Misenchantments. We never plug. We never tell people to That's true. like and subscribe. That's true. Um, and we never say like, hi, like I'm Lorenzo and this is Misenchantments again. Right. Like we just start talking. So. Right. Uh, hi, I'm Lorenzo and this is Misenchantments. thought it was pretty perfect because I did it was burpees day yesterday so I did that and then had my seed oil on tofu and thought this is really nice you canceled it out I canceled it yeah <laughs> this is yeah it was just like a nice on theme from the last episode activity mm -hmm. yeah um, I oh, we can't spend the whole episode talking about seed oils but I got this milk yesterday I keep thinking it's called future milk but I think it's called like wonder milk it's like a plant-based milk that's supposed to taste and like have the same consistency as whole milk mm -hmm. and I haven't had whole milk in like years and years and I took a sip and I was like transported back nostalgically Whoa. to childhood where did you get kind of gross whole foods oh I gotta try I've that. seen it at, I've seen it at um, Kroger before too okay. so yeah I gotta your try eyes that. peeled yeah. okay yeah because I mean I've, I've just become so like I just have soy milk and oat milk um, that's basically so. what the the wonder milk is is a mm. combination of the two. Oh really okay that's actually i combined them both and like my tea oh. right now i put both soy milk and oat milk it's good yeah it's <laughs> better than oily yeah no there's no oils on the soy milk it's just mm. it's just soybean it's the trader it's joe's one so it's just it's the xenoestrogens it's just the xeno that's right i got the xenoestrogens and the and the <laughs> seed oils but we can't we can't go down this road again. no we can't that'd be really funny <laughs> you know? just like that's, that's just what it's this actually, is about yeah time. it's it's just about <laughs> Oh, oils. Oils. Um, oils and estrogens. We should do an episode on like essential oils though. That would be good. I think we'll just, yeah, that sounds like it'll like fold into like goopism or, you know, just mm -hmm. like new age, new age like products um, in general. Mm -hmm. But today, today mm -hmm. we're here to talk about an important, an important book, I think, in the general like story uh, of like Christianity and modernity. I think it's probably, I mean, at least among people that I know, like one of the most important ones, if not like the most well-known, um, which is Charles Taylor's A Secular Age. Um, we're, mm -hmm. we're here to give the definitive take on that. Yep. Yeah. The definitive thumbs down. No, definitive, <laughs> you're not though. <laughs> I'm not kidding. But, yeah, well, but we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> we'll get to our review of it. So, I guess just to start, um, what, what do you think, what do you, what does he mean by a secular age? Yeah, so um, we, 
in classic Riley and Lorenzo fashion, did not read the whole book. Um, we read the intro mainly, I don't know, jumped around, maybe skimmed some other parts, read some reviews. Um, but in the intro, he very clearly lays out like three uh, different ways to think about secularism. Uh, the first being the disappearance of like religion from public institutions, I think is what he says. The second one is like um, church membership declining. And then the third way, which is what his book is all about is um, he calls it like secularism three is uh, when religion becomes like one option of many in like a whole like ecosystem of belief. So he argues like we live in a secular age, even though like so many people still go to church and everything, because there's like, it's not like the, you, you can like imagine a world without religion or like you can imagine maybe not a world without religion, but you don't have to believe yeah. in religion. Yeah, it's just like not in the water the way that it purportedly used to be, I think is his, is his complaint, or I don't know if to call it a complaint. I think it is, but like his, mm -hmm. the thing that he's identifying is that it's no longer like the de facto, like mode of being in the world is religious. Um, and specifically he's talking, he even specifies, he's talking about like the North Atlantic world. Um, so, you know, in, in like, I guess the, the center of the West, I suppose used to be, you know, like Christian dumb and are no longer like that's no longer the de facto like way of organizing your life in society um yeah and so uh <laughs> we thought you know one 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 like harebrained objection just right off the top is to just say uh hey you know you look at like pew research or something and like 80 percent of americans still believe in god so you know um <laughs> checkmate right charles taylor uh, right and of course <laughs> You know that's not what he cares about um no. and i i do think that he is right in some ways i don't i don't know i don't even know where to start to get into it um yeah well i think we should explain a little bit more about his argument um and like why it's important because i think like the crucial move that he's gonna make is the <coughs> secularization is the process where um, that the the givenness of religion is no longer structurally part of like is no longer structurally part of the way that we interact with society and with each other and that denies us the kind of like full religious experience um, and he calls he calls this like experience of um, like a spiritual existence fullness um, but and I, so I think that concept of fullness is really central to his his work like that like mechanically is going to be what undergirds much of his argument um do you want to give like a, a rundown of the of like how his argument goes in general i think you know um, it better than i do uh i don't know about that but yeah sure i think something that i like a big takeaway for me is that um i think this like is as you said, it's like about fullness, but I think that he's also making an argument that I don't think he does a very good job of like laying out in the intro, um, where he's kind of saying that we have like, you know, back in the day, we didn't have like a concept of 
the self as much so there wasn't as much like boundary between like oneself and like the world or like we didn't conceive human beings didn't conceive of it that way um so you know the process of modernity or like the effect of modernity in which like now we have an atomized self in which like the mind is bounded we have interiority sort of makes it so that like the things that we used to attribute to like the cosmos we attribute to um like our minds or like you know psychology um and i don't know i've also been thinking about this because i'm reading william james's varieties of religious experience so i've been thinking about like you know psychology and religion um which i think and maybe I'm getting too rambly about this, like also relates to like what Eugene McCarraher, aka Eugene, would say about like Protestantism or also like hustle culture mindset. I'm taking this too far afield. Um, I don't think so. Because I, I think all of these are like examples of the way that uh, like your, um, the distinction between the kind of psychological approach that one has in like a f in Christian fullness as opposed to these sort of like many different as McCarraher is going to call them misenchantments um but I think like also very important Taylor is a is a Catholic um he doesn't I don't think make that as central um it's because he I, doesn't write in such like a nice with like such a nice flourish as Eugene does that's, where Eugene yeah. is like what does he say like I uh, affirm my commitment to theology. And it's like, right. Oh, you, you can beautiful. like, right. Like you can see the Baroque architecture of a Catholic church in McCarraher's <laughs> writing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, it probably would pain him to hear me say it, but Charles Taylor writes like a, like a wasp. Right. Um, he really does. He really writes like, like he's a wasp. living in a secular age. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, like I think, you know, the full like Catholic sacramental living um, is very, uh, it's not as oriented toward the, the, like the self as the primary unit of society, um, the way that other options like some sorts of Protestantism and then also definitely hustle culture and all, all of the contemporary misenchantments are gonna be like the atom of the self is the unit of analysis, whereas, in like the, the fully Catholic context, it's going to be like the church or the community of believers or something like that. So I think um, just to maybe finish the introduction with like a basic rundown of his argument, I think Taylor wants to say that we live in a secular age. And what that means is that the, um, the substance of belief is no longer just the de facto mode of being in society we have, um, or being in the world, like we have so many different competing modes of existence. And like these competing modes make it harder, I think is ultimately what he wants to say, or just make it less possible. It closes some options for us. Um, and those that are like, it closes one central option, which is the kind of like naive and full belief in just and the divine as like the thing that structures the world um, and which we can have faith in. And so, um, but he does it 
like, I want to say, I was going to say wokely, like he, he's not like, because it sounds like there's a version of this argument that would be like, it, like theocratic and monarchist or something like we need to return to an age um, where just like this, the church rules all and mandates belief and then we can all be full. But I, I don't think he thinks that. Um, I mean, he doesn't think that. I don't think his argument would support that, but I actually don't know it well enough to say how it wouldn't support that. Yeah. Um, and I think that a key um, like concept that's important to understand in the intro um, is he talks about uh, imminence versus transcendence, which I oh, think yeah. is, al is also related to, you know, the, the separation of, you know, this like selves um so he argues that back in this like enchanted world the there were like transcendent experiences um in which like i don't know one you know like believed in god and then had this like religious experience um whereas now we live in like an imminent world where like meaning is imminent and that's imminent i-m-m-a-n-e-n-t um as in like from within um so like we create he would say like meaning for ourselves as opposed to like receiving it from elsewhere and um he feels that the transcendent experience has more of um the fullness yeah mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Eminence and transcendence, I forgot, was is actually, that's also like the other distinction that I think makes his argument run. I think without that distinction, you can't make much sense of the whole thing. So yeah. Um, so like, just to really hammer it home, he writes um, in the book, uh, that the potential quote that the potentialities we have attributed to God are really human potentialities. Um, right. So that's where we get like, humanism, from, right. for example, right. So coming back around to like the initial kind of like dummy objection that um, actually like most Americans identify as Christian or believe in God or whatever. Um, the reason that that doesn't succeed or is kind of irrelevant to the point is because um, it's just like that's not really the question that he's asking. Like maybe church attendance or the presence of God in public spaces or something is like an indicator of the degree of secularity that a society is undergoing, but it isn't the actual, it isn't the secularity, like the, like being or secularism, like the secularism is just the people like not living in, like oriented toward the transcendent um, or, you know, like grounding themselves in the transcendent. It's, it's, the fact that everybody is just kind of like within the, the imminent frame, as I think he puts it, even if there are plenty of people like there, there very well may be, and I think he would be perfectly fine with this, like many Christians who are still like effectively secular um, just because they're in this environment. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's true. And it, it's hard, uh, you know, as I have said, like, I wonder how much of our like feeling that, um, there are Christians like in the imminent frame is kind of like coming from a place of like disdain for like American evangelicalism. Oh, um, right. Yeah. Cause those would be the main ones that are. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, um, not us though. We're different. Right. No. <laughs> we're, we're different. Um, I actually, well, we're not, but for reasons that I'll get to, but like, right. I think, um, yeah, I mean, certainly like ridiculous examples, like, like pro true prosperity gospel. 
Um, like those are, I think, very obviously not. Like if your whole thing is, is pray harder so you can get more money, that's pretty obviously like a secular, um, like a secular version of Christianity or secularized or something. Okay, so given that we uh, just did an episode on Enchantments of Mammon, I think that's an important point of comparison with this book. And like, I wanna say that like kind of dialectically, um, it would have probably made more sense for us to come at it the opposite direction, because I think what Taylor is doing is giving like a really sophisticated rendering of the like Marxist Weber, like disenchantment view. Like he is laying out for us like really, really on a personal level, how does disenchantment operate? Like he's giving us like a kind of um, a map to understand both on the personal and in the societal level, what it really means to be disenchanted. And if the, you know, the, the, the dutiful listeners to our pod will remember <laughs> that McCarraher's whole, um, his whole thing is that he's departing from that view. He doesn't think that we are disenchanted. He thinks we're enchanted differently um, under a new set of enchantments. I think Riley and I both agree with, with that take. Yeah. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna include that in our, in the next section, which we've called gripes. Um, but um, I think like, it's just good to understand like the way that these two, like, cause both of these are like 800 page books that are like, you know, uh, just massive treatises on like the state of things. And uh, the way that they interact is basically just what I said, like Taylor lays out, here's what disenchantment really looks like. And McCarraher, he's not like directly objecting to Taylor, although he has written a couple things where he'll like offhandedly, like an uh, Aeon article and another one in like Hedgehog Review, I think, where he does offhandedly mention Taylor as like one of the cast of characters that he's broadly responding to. Um, but the, that is, I think, the, the critical distinction between the two and it helps us understand Taylor a little bit better because Taylor is still, he still thinks that there's some sort of like, like difference, qualitative and important difference between being enchanted under like a, a world of like transcendent belief in Christianity and then our contemporary state of disenchantment. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, I think that McCarraher would um, also agree that there is a qualitative difference between That's true. Yeah. um you know what it was like to live in an enchanted world and like a misenchanted world so i guess i think like the the key difference is that um you know eugene has his article where he talks about taylor i think it's in aeon where he writes like it, it's called like we have never been disenchanted um yeah. whereas you know, Taylor would say, like, actually, that's the world we're living in now, is that we're disenchanted. Um, and that's more what he means by secular. Um, and yeah, he's wrong. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> Case closed and a podcast. Case closed. Week. Yeah, no. I think, like, you know, you put them both in the ring, you get, you get Eugene, you get Charles, you, you know, Chuck. Y yeah, Chuck, you get, <laughs> Chuck, Ta Wait, Chuck Taylor. Wait, Taylor. <laughs> this guy invented Converse and wrote a book about disenchantment. Oh my god. <laughs> anyway, yeah, you get Eugene and Chuck in the ring, um, and uh, yeah, we think Eugene's gonna gonna you know wallop him. He's gonna beat mm -hmm. the shit out of him. 
Is that the power of God? And no, just kidding. (laughs) Well, they both have, yeah, they both kind of have the power. They're both Catholic, which is interesting. Um, Yeah. And I'll also add, they both, like Taylor also is mad at at Protestantism too. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe not as mad, but he's also mad at Protestantism, which as as a as a Protestant, I get I'm <laughs> okay. So, I guess like, why does this matter? Um, like, what's the the next question is like, why does um, like why does Taylor think that secularization or not um, like is actually an important thing to like to focus on? Um, and I think like the most obvious answer is going to be kind of similar to like Eugene's view that being enchanted through a sacramental life um, is just going to be better for people than being enchanted through um, like uh, capital. Um, I think Taylor thinks that the kind of fullness on offer in a non-secular society is just better or something. It's like better for human flourishing or something. It's, you know, like yeah. we just live better yeah. than without that. It's more fun. It's more fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm, I, rem- I'm reminded of a story, um, or not a story, like a well, it's one of my stories. Uh, but I was TAing for a conservative law professor um, at uh, CU Boulder, where I did my masters, and. Um, I remember I came to his office hours once because I was just like, all right, what's your deal, man? Like, I want to I want to press you on your conservatism because he was like a classical, like Burkean conservative, or at least so he says. And, um, you know, we got into like what what the, the purpose of a conservative mindset was to begin with. And, um, you know, he's, of course, going to appeal to like people in the past, like understood well, like what making a good life was. And so it's just like, I don't know more epistemically reliable or something to think that prior generations like understood something that new experimentation in ways of living like is, is foolhardy for trying to depart from and so i was like what do you, you think like medieval peasants were like happy you know li- living to 32 and dying of syphilis or something um and like actually i guess i wouldn't i don't think they had syphilis. well anyway dying of bubonic plague sure. and he he said like i think that you know, the like ecstasies of like living as like a full hearted Christian were were like sufficiently happy to overcome like whatever material disadvantages being a medieval peasant might have had. Um, and I thought that was just about the zaniest thing I'd ever heard. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, it's, it's straight up goofy. Like I, just... I guess, I mean, I think that could be true, but I think it can like still be true today. Well, okay. So yeah, but like, here's the thing. It's going to only be true for some people. Like there might've been some, some monks, you know, living in medieval times, like who were just actually able to fill their lives with, with that kind of religious ecstasy. But I don't think for your average, like Joe peasant, um, that, that was what, I mean, you know, you have to, everybody involved in this debate is doing some like psychologizing about past generations in a way that I yeah. think is probably impossible, um, or at least like hard to do without like a really really thorough education in, in classics or something and, and like anthropology or something. But like, I just feel like intuitively it can't be the case that everybody was going around 
feeling that way. Like, well, yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And I also think that it's just like a a moot point because I feel like the concept of like, uh, you know, individual fulfillment or whatever, like kind of depends on the atomized self oh, or like shoot. you oh, know shoot. yeah like I'm like I'm, are we doing that thing where we're like you know we're uh this is a big example but when people are like oh we're the men of ancient rome gay and it's like that's like a stupid question to ask right those categories didn't exist yeah you know were uh, people like fulfilled impossible to say yeah and maybe i'm just like making this up i don't know maybe maybe you can do this like maybe there is value in asking um that type of question but my instinct is to say that it's like stupid yeah if you will yeah if I, yeah your, your instinct is to say that i'm stupid um yeah no not that you're stupid <laughs> <laughs> but i think i do think that like it like it can't be okay so like the, the gayness is a very contemporary like category like as a social category. Yeah, Um, that's true. In in a way that I just don't think individual flourishing is, even if that isn't the thing that we primarily care about. Like, let's suppose that we're talking about like some sort of communal society um, that isn't as individualized as like liberal America or something. Like, it's still going to be made up of, like the locus of um, like happiness as a quality is, at the personal phenomenological level. There's no experience of a community, like at a community doesn't have experiences. Individuals have experiences of community. Mm, um, I don't know if, I don't know. I think we're getting into the wrong questions or like, I think we're, no, maybe, well, if we like continue on this, I think we're gonna like get into a debate on like, do communities have experiences? And I would say- They don't have neurons. How does a community have experiences? <laughs> You know? Where's the brain? <laughs> distributed cognition? I mean, I think uh, that people would say that, like, I don't know. I think you can, I think that you could make the argument that, like, yes, communities do have experiences. And I think you can then argue that, like, um, you know, religion is good or, like, enchantment is good insofar as it, like, sustains a community. I don't, I okay. think, I don't know. Yeah. I guess I'm just, I, st- I see I'm that it's different like, than sorry yeah. I, I see that it is different than like the category of, of gay yeah. but I still think it's comparable <laughs> a little bit God. oh man I think yeah I mean I, I have like like now I'm now I'm just like putting on my my philosophy of mind hat right now and say and just thinking like in what way could a community like orient itself functionally in the same way that a brain does to produce like phenomenological qualia or something. Um, well, that's because you're not enchanted. That you is because couldn't get it. <laughs> yeah. So take yeah. that. Yeah, that is. I don't know. It's no, only philosopher right now. Yeah. No. Um, it wouldn't even actually. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I don't think that there's any philosopher who would think that, well, maybe on like some sort of like weird, like Chalmers extended mind view, but. Oh God. No. Oh no, that's where I'm getting this idea from is that terrible paper I told you about that I read on Virginia Woolf and panpsychism. Oh yeah. Yeah, I guess if you were You know what, I take it back. Yeah. (laughs) I don't, because I think panpsychism is so stupid. Riley Um, confirmed panpsychist. It's gonna be so loud. It was really loud. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's on record now. it is on record um, um Okay, okay, okay. Well, dialing back from that, the reason that that's important is because mm -hmm. I still think that, like, I, like, and yeah, this is, maybe I just do have, like, a liberal democracy individualism brain, but, like, individual people are where experiences happen, and experiences should be good for individual people. Like, morally speaking, I think that's what matters. And so, like, I just am not convinced that like the flourishing of a religious community at the expense of, you know, individual people can be called good um, or like, well, okay, but that's, I guess, supposing that, I mean, I guess you could, you could have both, right? Like you could have a religiously oriented community of healthy individuals too. Like mm -hmm. it's not like Taylor's view entails that one ought to um, like <laughs> expend the well-being of individuals, yeah. but um at least in contemporary society, or sorry, in like earlier societies, um, that is what was happening. It was like, you know, society was kind of worse for, for a lot of people, um, even if it maintained some sort of enchantment, like the medieval peasants who were like had this rapturous belief in, in, in God um, that was forced on them by like an oppressive church or something. I don't mean to straw man him because again he's, he's not doing like he's not he's not saying we need to return to like <laughs> Ritavern. Ritavern. He's, he's one of our Ritavern guys. He um, is, yeah. I think I agree with you. I don't know. I I feel like I'm just feeling argumentative. I think I agree with you, but I think that there would be a lot of people who disagree and say yeah. like we should have never become modern and it's actually right. like worse. Um and I don't think I agree with them, but I'm sort of sympathetic sometimes yeah. to their views. When you're feeling a little trad. <laughs> but then I just drink my wonder milk and I think, thank God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. <laughs> wonder, that sounds so dystopian. Um, <laughs> yeah, it has like, a, it lo the carton is really cute. It like has cow print on it. Mm. Um, I really love it. Yeah, I love the marketing. I love yeah. marketing, so therefore. Therefore. Yeah, I'm yeah. so glad we live in a secular age. <laughs> <laughs> right. I will. Yeah, I am drinking the seed oils and eating the bugs, and I'm happy about a secular age. <laughs> you own um, nothing, and you will be happy. <laughs> right. What is it? The, yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, this this pot is a mess. Um, yeah. It, no, it, it's not. Hang on. Um, so I do think Taylor's account is at least dependent to some degree on the flourishing of the individual um, because he, he gives this really telling example of um, the author B.D. Griffiths um, describing like a sort of spiritual moment that she had. And I think this is the kind of full, like fullness that he's like honing in on. Um, if you want to, you, know, you want to give a, a recitation of that. Sure, sure, sure. Um, this whole passage is in um, a secular age on page five, if you're following along, which you're not, but um, so the not as passage. far as we got anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one day during my last term at school, I walked out alone in the evening and heard the birds singing in that full chorus of song, which can only be heard at that time of the year at dawn or at sunset. I remember now the, so the shock of surprise with which the sound broke on my ears. It seemed to me that I had never heard the birds singing before, 
and I wondered whether they sang like this all year round, and I had never noticed it. As I walked, I came upon some hawthorn trees in full bloom, and again, I thought that I had never seen such a sight or experienced such sweetness before. If I had been brought suddenly among the trees of the Garden of Paradise and heard a choir of angels singing, I could not have been more surprised. I came then to where the sun was setting over the playing fields. A lark rose suddenly from the ground beside the tree where I was standing and poured out its song above my head and then sank still singing to rest. Then sank still singing to rest, sorry. Uh, everything then grew still as the sunset faded and the veil of dusk began to cover the earth. I remember now the feeling of awe which came over me. I felt inclined to kneel on the ground as though I had been standing in the presence of an angel and I hardly dare, dared to look at the sky Sorry, I hardly dared to look on the face of the sky because it seemed as though it was but a veil before the face of God. It's a really beautiful quote. Um, what struck you about it? Um, I have not had such a rapturous experience, but I've had like, you know, you know, many uh, like experiences like this or like, you know, with the same like flavor. Where... Like a lizard. Yeah, the lizard, um, or I've been going on walks on like Saturday mornings um, here in Michigan now that it's like spring and, and sunny sometimes. Um, and just like, you know, seeing these birds or like I've been bird watching and like learning to like recognize the birds and then like hearing them. I don't know, it's just like, uh, I don't know. I found this to be kind of like a relatable experience. Although I've, like I said, I've not had, you know, something so intense happen to me. Um, yeah. 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 My, what I thought, I, I have two. And what I thought when I was reading this is that like, similar to what I was saying, I think in the first episode is that I think like having a religious language um, that you under, like understanding, you know, things through like she refers to like angels and like the face of God and like the garden of paradise. And like, it gives you a grammar to put these kinds of experiences into and make them like very fulfilling. But what I don't think you need is like to take a further step where then like you need like the full society to like affirm that, to get like, you know, right. unilaterally in order for you to, to apply the grammar of, of religion to this kind of like raw experience. Right. I mean, and if that were the case, then none of us would ever have these experiences, right? Right. He disproves himself in the intro. Um, I really, I should say, I went into this, I really went into to reading this very like um, charitable. Like I, I was kind of stoked on it because a lot of people who I respect and, and who I know are like, wickedly smart really like this book um so I was a little bit sad when I was, as I read more of the intro and read more about it I was like finding it less plausible <laughs> um but maybe that's just because I'm too atheism brained yeah um, and I think that like um well first yes I also thought this was going to be like a banger um and it's not in my opinion um but uh to return to the passage you know Taylor would say that BD is having um, like a transcendent experience. And I think that is true, but I guess I'm not sold. And maybe we wanna talk about this later more. I'm just like not sold that you can not have transcendent experiences. Like if you're not enchanted. 
Do yeah. you know what I'm saying? I feel yeah, like I'm yeah. Making sense. No, I, yeah. Like, well, I mean, that's kind of like what I was saying. Like, I think his his view yeah. of like the full, like full fullness mm-hmm. is only really possible, he thinks, in a non-secular society or else why would you bother about caring about what others were doing? And so, actually this is, okay, now I feel like I'm just plainly misunderstanding him because B.D. Griffiths was not living in, who is living in, in a secular society. So she did have this experience without- Who is B.D. Griffiths? Her, I don't know who this is. I don't even know who that is either, yeah. Oh my gosh, I thought you did. No, I thought you did. She seems like no. you're, you're Allie. Probably. Right. I just, right. I had just assumed you did because you know how to pronounce Beedy and I was reading oh, it's, it's it's Bede. Oh, it's because it's, it's a name. <laughs> I don't know Oh, it. okay. First off, we've been misgendering yeah. this poor man. Um, I, oh no. <laughs> <Bede>. <laughs> okay. Oh, by the end of his life, he, he went by Swami Dayananda. Damn. Okay. Ooh, so, when did he live? He lived from 1906 to 1993. All right. Um, born Alan, Alan Richard Griffiths. He was a Benedictine monk. But then why he did he change? A swami? Yeah. How did he become like mm. some sort of? Oh, he went to India. Classic. Classic yeah, cla- British thing. It, classic <laughs> British thing to the do. Early 20th century. It really is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> damn. damn. All right. Well. Um, well, he wrote a beautiful passage he about did write, birds. He really did. Um, I mean, I think the fact that we assumed that he was a woman says a lot about, um, what is it? The femininity, how being religious, is, what is it? The pietization of femininity, the femininity. Do you know what I'm talking no, about? No, no, I don't. It sounds cool, right. though. Like, That's is really religions for women? Is that? Yep. Yeah. That is, Increasingly, because yeah. it's so earnest. Right. Anyway, okay, this is really a mess, but oh, that's kind of no, that's kind of an interesting thought. Well, anyway, okay, it, we'll have to we'll talk about that later. Okay, we'll talk <laughs> about a, that a different time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that actually sounds like it fits in nicely with trad Kathy girls, but yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, anyway, um, all right, well, sorry, sorry, um, Alan Richard Griffiths as his his full name, um, or should I say, um, um, Swami Dayananda. <laughs> <laughs> for misgendering you but um oh god all right uh, so he wasn't living in an enchanted age no he wasn't but why do you think that you're like misunderstanding or like willfully Be- misreading taylor because it seems like taylor would have to have chosen a passage from a time when people were living in an enchanted or like a non-secular age to give us an example of the kind of full experience that he thinks is i mean he doesn't think that it's no longer possible. I guess that's the that's maybe where I'm strawmanning him. Like I'm sure he yeah that, yeah it, yeah he does think it's still possible. Maybe it's just harder. It's not as available to well. He writes to um, the plebs. Yeah, he writes on that page right before he uh, shares the quote. Um, like he, he's talking about the fullness, and then he says perhaps the sense of fullness is something we just catch glimpses of from afar off. We have the powerful intuition of what fullness would be were we to mm. be in that condition, for example, of peace or wholeness, or able to act on that level of integrity or generosity or abandonment or self-forgetfulness. Um, but sometimes there will be moments of experienced fullness, uh, you know, for example, E.D. Griffiths. Right. has this experience so he's arguing that 
um, yeah, like that fullness is still accessible, but only like momentarily. Um, whereas I don't know, were people just like living in like religious ecstasy at all time? Well, that's that seems improbable. That seems very improbable, and that's that's they're in the I, fields. They're, they're, <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, like that's what that's like why I thought that the law professor that I TA'd for was like, you know, just insane because I was like, hey, they didn't walk or like maybe, yeah, occasionally when they went to church and like were watching like a monk whip himself or something, that's when they were filled with with that kind of religious ecstasy. Mm -hmm. But like not when they were like pulling a rotten cabbage out of the ground and thinking yeah. about how they're not going to be able to feed their child. Like, yeah, that watching just, their like eighth child die or whatever. It's right. Not like yeah not to be glib about it i mean it was a long time ago and it's also right. an imagined situation but still <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trigger warning if you were a medieval peasant who has watched their eighth child die after feeding them a rotten cabbage yes. uh, do not do Sorry, not continue guys. listening um okay well oh god it just yeah. i don't know i just I apologize that this episode is so all over the place, but I feel like it's just like, I don't understand why people like this book so much. You need to stop apologizing. Um, why? <laughs> anyway, uh, no, I don't know. Yeah, thank you um, for your patience with yeah. this insane episode. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I mean, I think because it captures a feeling that a lot of people, like, this is how I imagine it. Like, imagine you're somewhat embattled in your faith because you're surrounded by a lot of, like, you know, like basically secularized people. Like I gave, I gave the the story of like the girl that I was that I, that I, I had a massive crush on in high school, where I was talking to her and like um, I, about like my own you know uh, turn away from from Catholicism, and uh, I was asking like about her own like her spiritual sort of like journey or whatever, and she was like, yeah, I just don't really care about that. Like, and I was like, oh, you, do you believe in God or like what? And she was like. I mean, I guess not, because I just, I just don't really care. Nice, um, good for her, dude. And not yeah, really, but yeah, that's yeah, she, cool. No, I got owned, yeah, like, God, um, what was I going to say about that? Oh, yeah, the, if you're surrounded by people like her, of which there are many, you know, and you are, like, a really, like, religious person, um, like, I could, I would imagine that that's, like, a really hard, like, place to find yourself in, and you'd want... You, you would feel like you're unable to interact with your faith in the way that prior generations could have. And so maybe mm -hmm. this book serves as a kind of like catharsis for that. Like you're like, shit, like I, my faith is, is yeah, under, under fair. fire. Um, and like, I need like a language to put <laughs> that, that experience in. And this book totally offers that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I suppose so. I mean, I think that's right. I just like, I just don't buy it, you know, or I just like don't buy the idea that we like live in a world where um, like unbelief is possible or like, right. I don't think, I don't believe in the imminent frame, you know? Yeah. I don't think that's could possibly exist. Right. Um, yeah, I want to get into that, but I just want to highlight at the top of this like mm -hmm. segment because I think now we're entering gripe mode very obviously. Like um, the two paths of objection are one, yeah, the imminent frame is impossible, and two, I think the kind of transcendence that he identifies with 
previous modes of societal organization actually wasn't even the case then either. Um, so like the, we could name the, these objections like the, when we were chatting about this off mic, I um, was I was like referring to like like the contemporary example of like the secularized person is like like a, you know uh, like a Marvel fan right who just like I, I, I use this as but you know wait what are you shaking your head about I just think like, I'm just know, going in on them for no reason yeah you just hate Marvel fans oh, man. I do like I was looking oh man anyway uh, yeah, yeah no, I know do, we can't do, get into can't that. you that's get our into whole this. audience that is no. our whole audience. <laughs> We saw Doctor Strange. We loved it. No. Um, okay. So, like, you imagine this, like, totally just consumer brain American who only likes, you know, like, they have an NFT. They're really excited for the new Marvel movie. They have no religious, like, commitment to anything, really. And I think, like, while that is, like, a sort of caricature painted by the trads as, like, where America has gone wrong or something, like, I mean, I kind of agree, but, like, I think those people existed and have always existed like that like there were mid medieval marvel people just they didn't sure. care about marvel they just cared about something else in the same sort of like trivial way like i i, I just think that i mean um, maybe this is just categorically wrong and like some anthropologist could could come and beat me over the head and say like no like there are societies where people do all together maintain some sort of like transcendent religious experience but like i just don't know at least like in the West, well, whether that was ever possible. I think that Taylor would say that, yeah, sure, they, there have always been like, um, you know, people who like doubted the existence of God or whatever. But I think the difference is- Or like didn't that, even care, that's the big Yeah, one. or they, yeah. yeah, or they just like don't care. Yeah, they're, uh, I was listening to a podcast, I don't remember what it was called, kind of like talking a little bit about this and they were saying like yeah there have always been people who are like irreligious which doesn't mean that like they didn't believe in god but like to be like religious in ancient greek meant to be like observant mm -hmm. of gods and to be irreligious meant to just like act like they didn't exist um but i think like the the key difference between like you know ancient greece religious irreligious and now is that now there are like viable alternatives like to be irreligious means to have like a different belief system do you know mm. what i mean yeah um but i still think that's like a valid gripe is that your main gripe that well that's like no my that's one thing that because there's two ways to like to object to him or like mm -hmm. at least two that it seems that we've thought of and that's one avenue of obje objection um and i think he actually could respond to that well like if i'm being charitable to him he would say like it's maybe it's a continuum like some people like like our, our, our like our boy bd um like are just very sensitive to this and then other people like my high school crush just like aren't you know and like but she still, it's, she still has the capacity, right? And like maybe if she were living in a society where it was more just like in the water, um, like she would be better attuned to that. And I think that that is like, that's a reasonable response. I don't find it super compelling, but like I could see how it saves his view. I wanted to start with it. Like the reason that I kind of diverted my apologies mm -hmm. um, is because I think your objection is the, that one is the one that actually um, that ends him. Um, so, yes. yeah. Yeah. So my ex 
objection is that, um, you know, to use these Marvel fans as an example, although I don't have such a, a disdain for them. I you know, I don't know. Lowest, um, the lowest form of per- oh sorry. <laughs> um, I think that, uh, you know, regardless of whether people are like religious, irreligious, I think everybody has transcendent experiences. Um, I think that if you're like a new atheist dude, um, then like your religion is new atheism or like um, if you're an NFT guy, you like worship, uh, you know, technology. Yeah, Yeah. apes, apes. Yeah, yeah, the false idols, the (laughs) NFT apes. Um, So I just don't think that there's any such thing as an imminent frame. I think that, um, you know, across all societies, no matter what, there's always transcendence. Um, And I think that like, you know, you can say, and this is, I'm sure what Taylor would say, like, okay, but that like science is even an option or like science history, technology, that these are even like options uh, in like the realm of transcendence matters. I think is like, okay, sure. It matters that now we have options. but I don't think that anyone is going around like disenchanted. Right. Yeah. And then at which point Taylor might just say he might like, rather than doing battle with, with, um, uh, with Eugene might tap him in and say like, all right, like, you know, if, if this, if this isn't so plausible, then maybe he wants to lean on something like the enchantments of Christianity and like fullness of religious experience are just better than worshiping the false ape idols. Yeah, and I guess then my gripe is that he should make that clearer. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) you know, get it together. Because I feel Um, like that didn't, I mean, at least like when I was reading the intro, this wasn't coming across to me. I was just like, okay, like why does it, like, okay, for example, uh, like Taylor writes, like, he says, I want to focus attention on the different kinds of lived experience involved in understanding your life in one way or another, you know, one way belief, the other way unbelief, on what it's like to live as a believer or an unbeliever. Um, And I just don't think that there's any such thing as unbelief. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's, I think that's right. Um, But we should, we should be careful to, to explain that point, because I think perhaps to somebody who's not as like in this, in this discourse as we are, like that might strike, like what, well, then what are atheists doing? Like if they're believing in science. Yeah. Yeah. I guess like, (laughs) and like humanism or like the individual self is being like so important and like psychology and, you know, liberalism. Right. Yeah. Zizek, um, Friend, friend of the pod, Slava Zizek. Oh my God, um, what have I, we got? Him? <laughs> <laughs> he, he appeals to the, the Lacanian concept of the big other, um, which is basically like, it, it is what it sounds like, like a big other, like some sort of, you know, it's not quite divine, but like some sort of structuring force um, that takes the form of like a quasi anthropomorphized like figure in, in your like psyche. Um, that orders things. And so for Christians, this is God, obviously, um, or for many religious people, this is God, but for like a new atheist, and we should also specify like new atheism is like the Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris flavor of internet atheism, um, 
like, you know, like zombie Jesus day, you know, flying spaghetti monster people. Like for them, yeah, yeah, cringe. But like for them, the big other is, you know, something like natural necessity and, and evolution and like some sort of like thing where they've taken the tools of science and turned them into like a character in a narrative that structures their way of being in the world. Um, and like that is also just a form of belief. And weirdly, because it seems to me like if you're going to be a contemporary like Christian apologist, pointing that out is going to be a really helpful move. And I don't know if Taylor does. Like I think Taylor actually wants to say that they are secular. Yes, I think he would based on Oh, I don't want to talk about it because I didn't read it closely enough. But like at the end of the book, he kind of talks about like some modernist authors and he, mm. you know, talks about like their humanism. And I think that he doesn't shoot. Now I'm not sure if he considers humanism like a religious, uh, like having a religious flavor. So yeah. never mind. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but. Well, I do think, I mean, Perhaps I'm willfully misreading him, but like I do think that he's somewhat committed to the view that there is something like categorically different about um, something like new atheism where, and I think he wants, he probably believes this, like it's okay. The reason it's easy for somebody like Zizek to say like ah, Christianity, new atheism, it's all pure ideology is because Zizek is himself an atheist. Um, and so it doesn't really like, he doesn't want to like say anything's particularly special. Um, actually, he does think Christianity is, but we'll get into that later. But like, um, like for somebody like Taylor, I think he, the reason ultimately, and he doesn't make this explicit, but the reason why Christian fullness is so good is because God is real. Like, he's not just making a psychological argument. Like, he's not saying like, hey, like when you're out there in the world, like looking at different societies, the ones where people are doing the best are the ones where people, you know, have um, this kind of fullness with relation to society. He, he, I think he want, he's gonna wanna say like, ultimately it's because that's true and good. Like, you know, the, the apes are false idols because there is, at the end of the day, the NFTs not re it's gonna get pumped and dumped and then there's no transcendence there but like yeah. god is ne god's never gonna pump and dump you like, he's the <laughs> yeah no i was thinking god is the true non-fungible token he is yeah ex exactly yeah um but he also exists in all of us so he is very fungible in that right, way but right. that's for another that's, that's besides oh, the point that's perhaps like the stupidest <laughs> argument to go down is like <laughs> no it's not it's he's good. got an nft <laughs> why did you want to talk about abandonment yes i'm still confused i'm about so glad this, you so asked I'm, I'm excited for you to to mansplain this to me yeah sit down uh <laughs> sweetie <laughs> okay all right so here's here's the rub so as i was reading Taylor and just kind of thinking through his system, I was reminded of um, an existentialism class that I took in um, undergrad. And um, just a bit of background about, about existentialism, it's basically rooted in the thought that as part of our being, 
and that's being as like your phenomenal existence in the world um not necessarily like considering humans as like biological creatures or whatever primarily um existentialism is a branch of phenomenology so it cares about just what is the essential character of being and existing in the world from your subjective point of view and part of a constitutive part of that subjective point of view is our freedom our radical freedom as sartre conceives of it um, we are at every moment at every turn faced with um, choices about how how we conduct ourselves what paths we take how we interpret the information that we run into all of these things are just part of existing so under sartre's formulation humans are condemned to be free that sounds pretty edgy but it's basically just supposed to convey the gravity of our situation um we have no uh like ultimate authority to appeal to in our decisions that we make in our lives from the point of view of like our subjective being so attending this state of existential freedom is a uh, an existential state of abandonment because we do not have any sort of overarching authority that can guarantee meaning for us um, and like an essence for us in our lives now you can see how this kind of runs contrary to to Taylor's view. In fact, so much so that I'm, my objection is basically just suppose that Sartre's view is correct and Taylor's is not. But what what Taylor wants is some sort of overarching, meaning-making thing it, that that is pre-given to us by our position in a non-secular society. But the reason that I disagree is because I do just agree with this Sartrean view that we are like in the first moment of being in every moment of being first we are free and abandoned and to act as though we are not like to just take on whatever role we are given because of our societal placement or because of the kind of ideology of the uh, like historical time that we live in whatever that might be that's going to be what Sartre calls bad faith now bad faith another edgy sounding term but it basically just means that you are supposing that your essence is given to you by whatever role you find yourself in um, it could be something as trivial as your job or something i think as overarching as like your fundamental belief that you are a good christian and servant of god so regardless of whether you're living in a society that hands down to you a way of being that is in the transcendent frame or whether you're in one that gives you many options in the imminent frame um, you're still like in choosing to take on one of those roles acting in bad faith um, and I think the problem with this is that you're like not recognizing the radical freedom that you have um, to choose those frames like even in these societies where you're pre-given your meaning you still have to reach out and choose it. So again, a bit of a silly objection because I'm basically just saying Sartre's right and Taylor's wrong, but uh, there it is. Yeah, that's <laughs> interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like, I think, yeah, like all like ideological frames, idi uh, like imminent or transcendent are going to be, you're still going to be operating under them in bad faith. Sorry, because, bad faith, why? Because you're not that. Like, you're not just, um, like, uh, like, at the end of the day, the core of your being, like, your, like, phenomenological experience is not of, it, it's not, like, 
just being, you know, grad student or like uh, church attendant attendee or like, mm-hmm. you know, Christian or something like that. Being is essentially like free from those categories. Like it, it isn't determined before um, by being one of those categories. Like you, you, you know, like the, the, the existentialist like catchphrase is like existence precedes essence, right? Yeah. And so to say that you are like just this kind of like person who exists in transcendence uh, like because of your fullness in, in like a Christian society, like to say that that's what you are first and then like your experience, you experience that, I think is, that's what I'm saying is like wrong. Got it. Yeah. Well, I think that, okay. And maybe I just don't understand existentialism because I don't, but I think that that hmm, like relies or like the way that you're setting it up kind of like, uh, like this idea that someone is like, oh, I am a Christian, I am whatever, like requires a certain like self uh, narrativization that I think Taylor would say is like, not like, okay, question, could existentialism exist in like a pre-modern society? Well, I think, so the, the philosophy might not have been invented at that time, but I think that Sartre would say, or like, and similar existentialists would say, even back then, you still, like everybody still, this is just like what it is to be, like to be a conscious being, is to have, is to live in this state. Because I think, and the reason that I think this is the case is because like existentialism is a part of the project of phenomenology and phenomenologists were interested Mm -hmm. in identifying like the necessary character of experience, like Mm -hmm. necessary as in like experience as as we are intimately acquainted with it daily is structured along such and such lines and a lot of the project of that is like to say okay like there's these kinds of experiences that are just or like these structures to experience that are that's just what it is to be experiencing a thing um like time for instance is like one easy example like everything the experience happens in time um and so like I think, I think, and unless I'm like just radically misunderstanding this, like the, an existentialist would probably want to say that like even somebody in, you know, like 14th century France or something is still, their experience is still structured by this fundamental like freedom. Like we've always been free, whether we knew it or not. Yeah, I get, yes, okay. I think that Taylor would say, well, I think it goes back to like the the atomized self or whatever that he would say that you know back in in the day that god was so like i'm making a hand motion like present in society (laughs) that it was like as taken for granted as something like time yeah i don't think that's true or like i can't know if that's true right um and i think that none of us could possibly know if that's true <laughs> but right. yeah i think that would is what his response would be yeah maybe unless i'm misunderstanding his no i i, book, I think you, which is possible yeah and likely I, even <laughs> overwhelmingly likely even no. yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's as overwhelming as god once was <laughs> the likeliness yeah me not getting the look um, right no, no, I think I think, but I think you're right, actually, and that's why I prefaced all of this by saying that it's a dumb objection because it's like saying, 
suppose that instead of Taylor being right, existentialism is right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if that's the case, then existentialism is right. <laughs> like yeah. that, that's kind of the checkmate. <laughs> checkmate. Yeah. That is, yeah, that is the structure of my ass. objection. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I don't like again. It's a dumb objection, but that's like at least my personal reason. I they, I think that's why I bristle at at this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is because I'm coming from that. Like I find that to be a much more um, like accurate rendition of what or rendering of like what are <laughs> what being is like, and so I find the kind of like the Taylor view not appealing because it's so contrary to like my, to my priors or something. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Like, yeah, I think that makes sense. We're all by it, at least. I think we need, and this is a weird place for me to, to like lean on, but I think we need some anthropologists here. And you're you're frowning. Um, you have a distance. Anthropology from- is just you know another disenchantment. You know, or it's another belief system. You know. Oh, I don't even know how to interpret that claim. I'm not talking about the store. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <I'm- laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we yeah. need someone who works at anthropology. anthropology. Here. <laughs> oh god. Someone who does the windows. Right. Um, <laughs> gosh okay no but what i mean is like he's he's kind of talking about like a different way of like understanding one's place in society like this to me this is the the stuff of what anthropologists like cultural anthropologists study is like how do other people conceive of themselves in the societies that like they're given into um and so like that's to, it, to me, it seems like that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to do like a historical anthropology of like the way that people were and compare that to the way that people are now in a way that I'm not like confident. Like, Why do you like, think Eugene does it so much better? Because I feel like that's kind of what Eugene does too in like yeah. tracing. Yeah. But I feel right. like I believe him. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I believe anything he writes. Yeah. Any, yeah. I, yeah. Um, he just has like a he seems well and then the other person that i said might be able to help on this matter is like a classicist you know somebody who like knows like okay really like how did the like greeks and romans and stuff conceive of themselves and that but like maybe makara herself himself a little bit better <laughs> as like somebody with mm-hmm. like really good classics knowledge just because he writes like that yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> instead of all waspy <laughs> he was there <laughs> you know yeah god i love them yeah. eugene come on the <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. We're not ready. <laughs> yeah, we're not ready. We have to work after that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't buy it. There's no such thing as imminence. Um, abandonment. Maybe that's true. I don't know. The yeah, concept. I guess it, 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 it occurred to me also <laughs> that there might be some sort of like um, un like Oh God. Okay. Actually, this all comes down. It all comes down to the paper that I wrote for that existentialism class. Oh God. Yeah. Which, (laughs) which I reread actually, and it kind of hits, but like, here's the thing. So what I was saying in that is that like ideologies of different kinds are like different modes of bad faith. And because like when you, when you are, you're denying your freedom, by like just supposing yourself to be whatever position you hold within 
your given ideology. And so like what you're saying about imminence, like there's no such thing as being as imminence is kind of similar. Well, no, it's like, it seems to be a different thing actually. Damn, maybe it doesn't all come down to it. I also can't remember what, what my professor um, said about that. I mean, I got a, I think I got an A on it, but I don't remember whether she thought it was stupid or not. Flex, okay, no. <laughs> yeah, nice. Well, yeah, but it could have been like an A as in like, you've written a right, big paper, yeah, no, however, you're wrong and stupid. Um, well, and I can't remember yeah, if she thought I it was wrong and stupid. I just don't understand philosophy. Um, yeah. And that is my my best quality i think i think it's you know <laughs> virtuous to yeah. not understand philosophy yeah i don't understand experience i don't know why people care about it like just live <laughs> like, <I> just... <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so stupid. that was good um i'm leaving that in um <laughs> i just like yeah i don't know i just don't understand how to like yeah talk about I'm telling philosophy. John philosophy yeah, yeah tell him yeah. he would agree with me yeah he probably actually he totally would yeah <laughs> oh, man I guess okay wait so well, I would I do want to get this straight now just for my own sake so the imminence thing like there's no such thing as imminence because we're all wait, but but there's such thing as imminence okay, I just don't think that there's such thing as like an imminent belief system you think that so the, the the Marvel fans are transcending. Yeah. Like when you say Wakanda forever, you are, you are, like, doing a sacramental motion. As much as I don't want to say it, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do think that's actually. Uh, I mean, oh, do I think it's good? No. Do I think that? Uh, okay, no. That example is obviously silly, but I do think that you know, people who experience like wonder going to Disneyland are having a transcendent experience. Yeah. Even yeah. if I think it's like a false one, even if I think it's a misenchantment, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Um, and that we, I just don't, I don't know. God. What do you think? I, I, I recoil at this just because it's so aesthetically displeasing to me. Put that but, aside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but well, and I, I phrase it that way because because I think it's perhaps not a good reason, and maybe you're right. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we were talking about this in one of our like first episodes, either the prayer app or the intro, where we were talking about like people who just like don't think about religion. Oh, you were saying about like your friends who you think are bad because they just like have corporate jobs. Yeah. And I, and, and, like make saying, that, and make that their whole thing, by the way, just, you know, just so we're clear. Yeah, I'm trying to throw you under the bus yeah. necessarily. Yeah. But, and I said at the time, I believe, like, no, I think those people are still, like, having a rich spiritual life. Um, yeah. And I stand by that. Like, when they get their, their, like, subscription box in the mail. and like Yeah, I think it's bad, but I still think that... It's rich, but bad? I think it's real. Okay. It, it might be maybe not rich, but well, I think that I don't think that anyone's life is like purely made of subscription boxes and like work, I guess, you but, know. But what's, but what's the case or like, but no, of course not. But the thing that I'm mad about is that like, that is the stand in for like, 
we like my view is something like we have like a, a grant uh, like a not grammar uh, like a faculty like we have a, mm -hmm. a faculty of spirituality that can be expressed in different ways um it's like a faculty of language right like you mm -hmm. can learn english or you can learn learn hindi or you can learn spanish or whatever but like you have that faculty you have the faculty of spirituality too and this can be expressed you know christianly muslimly whatever and unfortunately also through marvel movies and subscription boxes and what i want to say is that like that's like a miss um like the reason that it is a misenchantment is because that you're just using you're abusing your faculty like okay yeah that's yeah. fair that's fair but yes i agree i do think yeah. that is an abuse of that faculty and i guess like the only reason i'm like harping on it so much and this episode is that I don't think that abusing that faculty is the same as unbelief. Okay. There we have it. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry. Yeah. Sorry. RIP. Sorry, Chuck. <laughs> yeah. Chuck Taylor. Maybe you should have stuck That's to so shoes. Huh? Oh my God. Maybe you should. <laughs> I can't believe we didn't think about <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. Your shoes kind of a banger. Um, yeah. Your, your book. I don't know. I would Did he I win would, all the, like he won so many prizes for this book. I should have yeah. read more reviews, uh, more positive reviews. Yeah. Well, I mean, I did you not read the like Notre Dame? Uh, no. Oh, that guy, that guy loved it. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, also, more arch support. That's really, or just any. Oh my god. I think that's yeah. the other thing because I really, yeah, um, I overpronate pretty badly, so. <laughs> Why is this pod just like you revealing all of your like weaknesses? <laughs> <laughs> what other weaknesses do I have? The xenoestrogens. Oh, the... right. Yeah, xenoestrogens and bad ankles. That's yeah, my, bad uh... ankles. Yeah. We're really like painting the full picture here. Yeah, yeah, damn. Well, do you have any further thoughts? No, I think that's I think that's it. Um, yeah. <laughs> cool <laughs> cool all right um like um, and subscribe like and subscribe favorite this shit um go give us five stars on apple podcasts write us um, a review yeah unless you're not going to give us five stars then right just close close the window right um touch grass touch grass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah go um yeah that that's it um see you in heaven see you in heaven Hey, uh, what's up, Miss Enchanters? It's Lorenzo. I'm, I'm in the studio right now. Um, you know, if you uh, stuck around past the credits, good job. You get a little ending scene, just like in my favorite uh, series of movies, Marvel movies. So uh, just, just two notes. Uh, first, some of you might have noticed, some of the observant listeners might have noticed that the audio quality during my uh, explanation of Sartre and Bad Faith is a little different. That's because I re-recorded it, because during the live recording, I absolutely fucked that. I mean, it was incomprehensible what I had said at that time. So uh, you're welcome for the much better <laughs> explanation that I did later. Um, the second thing that I wanted to go over briefly is that uh, ultimately Taylor's view kind of depends on 
God being real. So, like we mentioned, Taylor is a practicing Catholic, and so I think for him, the the importance of the transcendent frame is not just that it's a better way to comport yourself for a more virtuous and healthy life. It's that you're actually pointing yourself toward a, a real transcendent object, God. And so I think that really makes a fundamental difference um, between something that you might, you know, using your faculty of spirituality uh, to orient yourself towards some other good, like humanism, um, which is something that he says has taken over, um, and focusing on, uh, or, or using that faculty to focus on God. Um, I, think, I think that is really going to be essential to his view. And that's why I thought that abandonment was so important. Um, basically because without that guarantee of the you know, actual transcendent object that can give you the grounding for the kind of spiritual fullness that Taylor wants, we are just left to decide for ourselves um, what kinds of you know, spiritual goods uh, are our best for ourselves. Um, and so that, that, that kind of you know, closes out why. Uh, why that the existentialist piece is kind of relevant to the whole thing. Um, I hope that makes a little bit more sense. Uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, like, subscribe, uh, follow us on Twitter. I sometimes post kind of funny things. Um, okay. See ya.